Hello, and welcome to another episode of Resting Batch Face, the only Bachelorette recap podcast where we will fetishize virginity, but only when it comes to olive oil. <laughs> I am Dan Paul, joined as always by my friend, though not podner in crime. I think that's not going to be a thing. Gwen Kirby. Gwen, how are you doing today? Daniel, I'm doing fabulously. I had a big win today on the Suwannee Classifieds. I was the first person to respond to the email from the gentleman who had bought four frozen chicken pot pies that turned out not to be the flavor that he wanted them to be. They were going for free, and now I have four free frozen chicken pot pies to enjoy over the course of the next few weeks. So, huge win for me, and a huge win for me when I got to tell Andrew that story and see the appalled look on his face. So, it was a double victory. I mean... We learned in last week's episode of The Bachelor that there are many different ways to hug somebody. (laughs) And I'm now glad to hear that there is more than one flavor of chicken pot pie, which my entire life I figured was in and of itself a flavor. And even having looked at the picture of this chicken pot pie, it just looks like it says it's a chicken pot pie. I have no idea what his dissatisfaction with this chicken pot pie is, but it's my victory. I'm a little worried that he maybe gave you the chicken pot pies for the wrong reasons. And if that ended up being the case, then those pot pies can get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Unlike unlike our listeners who, even if you are here for the wrong reasons, please stay. Um, and I imagine if you're here for the wrong reasons, it's because you're confused and think that this is a Johann Sebastian Bach fan podcast. It is not that we have we have nothing against him. Well, we got to get into it because there's no way to say this. We have we have a lot of things to say about this episode, which didn't even have a rose ceremony. And we're going to try to be talking about what happened in this episode in terms of what we think changed, either for Katie's perception of these people, these people's perceptions of Katie, or just our perception of their idiocy. We're going to be using a sort of a stock up, stock down format um, as we go through chronologically. Though I have to say, I'm going to throw stock down at the New Mexico Hyatt. Everybody (laughs) seems freezing. Yeah, they all seem super cold. Does not seem the most conducive environment to like the kind of, with the exception of like bonfire snuggles, you're really not getting anything else. Everybody is huddling under blankets all the time. It makes me pine for the like 110 degrees, but with a swimming pool of the La Quinta and Palm Springs, which is taking the lead in our kind of bootleg fancy resort Olympics. Amen. Sorry, I should have something more to say there. I don't know. I well, fucking hate being cold. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I just, I'm just, think, I'm just thinking about how much I hate being cold. Yeah, fuck that place and their shitty cheeseburgers and expensive drinks. I just want the listeners also to know that Gwen Kirby is drinking rosé out of a competing podcast mug at the moment. <laughs> Shout out to the real podcasters on Rosecast on the off chance that they were seeking Johann Sebastian Bach content and got lost. So we're going to start where they started. We're going to start with the group date, which if you've never seen The Bachelorette before is going to sound stupid. (laughs) And if you've seen The Bachelorette for a long time, the fact that it is taken as normal just shows kind of how acclimatized you've become to the stupidity. So I believe 10 guys, which we'll go through, are brought to a theater. Eight. Gwen says eight. And they have they are given props of a wide variety of props, frankly, ranging from musical instruments to sex toys, and 
are asked to explain in a theatrical way why they would be the best lover, which again follows the theme that we started with last week about Katie's sex positivity and about how, no offense, Mike, there are reasons perhaps to have sex before you get married from a, from a practical and chemistry standpoint. But let's start with this. Stock up, stock down for you on the producers with all of this Mike virginity shit. Oh, that, I don't, that's a very tough call. I don't approve of this. I don't think that the theme of the date should be torture the virgin. I just think that's mean. And I I don't like it. I don't, I don't approve. I mean, I will say it gave the producers some very like fun moments. I really enjoyed the moment where the ominous music played as they panned across the sex toys and Mike wept in the background. That was pretty funny. Uh, but no, I don't approve on the whole of that. So I would say stock down for the producers on that. Um, but I would actually, I would say stock up for just kind of like the, the intro to the episode, like a lot of, a lot of big energy, a lot of foreshadowing, you know, Carl comes in at 11, uh, a place where he's going to remain this entire episode uh and then mike and and courtney have uh, a cross off who has the biggest crucifix around their neck frankly it's difficult to say both are <laughs> enormous then we get the one dude who just sprints at katie and leaps her up and this is just a little note to say if i don't know you that well do not fucking run at me and pick me up so that's gwen's <laughs> it's my that's gwen's, gwen's seduction, seduction tip for, yeah <laughs> for this week well so I guess for me, for the producers, it's stock and neutral because there's nothing more predictable than that they would do this kind of stuff, especially for a virgin guy. They handled Madison's virginity differently on Pilot Pete's season of The Bachelor because, of course, female virginity is chaste and pure and not to be mocked, I guess. But here's what I'm going to say. I'm aware like Mike is a virgin, but I feel like he has heard about sex. And I don't think it would have been that difficult for him to not lean into this if he didn't want to. I guess like he had to know this moment was coming, so he decision he made the decision to just get it out of the way at basically the first opportunity, which is perhaps a smarter move than what Madison did in that season, which was I think, if I recall, wait basically till like the night before fantasy suites and then yep. be like actually I am, you know, s- saving myself for marriage and I don't want you to fuck anybody else. You know, Mike came in to do this storyline. I do think like, all right, Hyundai of Trust, you know, Mike may be a virgin, but he doesn't have to be a little bitch. Like, why is he crying about it so much? Like, this just seems like there's like a hot manly way to be like, I know where the clitoris is, baby, but I just haven't gotten a chance to get it one yet. Instead of like weeping about the fact that you've never gotten any pussy for Christ. (laughs) I mean... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say it's a thing about The Bachelor, for those of you who are new to it, is it invariably devolves into a kind of trauma Olympics. And we saw the early heats of that Olympics later in the episode, though, again, I I don't mean to diminish, you know, Greg talking about having lost his father and using that as a way to connect with Katie, which we'll, we'll talk about, but like, this is the thing that comes up. The music gets slow and sad and you talk about why you're sad and how, you know, love will save you. And he certainly uses virginity as like, you know, as if he's just been 
left in the forest by the world and meant to try to make it amongst the wolves. So maybe I'm just cold. I, I wasn't all that sympathetic because, again, if he didn't want to talk about this, he didn't have to. He clearly went on the show with a plan to talk about it, and I'm sure he will be a hero in very specific right-wing, likely hypocritical talk shows to follow. So everybody handled it well. I will say maybe we're just the bar is so low for these dudes, but like they were all very nice to him. Maybe in the manner of just being like, you know, the way that Treebeard was very nice to Mary and Pippin, like that doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, you are a virgin. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think of course the dudes were nice to him. I mean, if he just gotten up there and announced Katie and I have completely different values and I'm not a threat in this competition, like I'd be like, yeah, like brother, live your goddamn truth. Like, awesome. I don't think the Bachelorette who showed up to Matt James's season with a vibrating dildo plans to marry a man who's like religious tenant is that mar- sex before marriage is like not something you should do. So I, I don't think the dudes care. I, I, this was the only part of the show that I watched with my husband before he gave up and fled. He knew that socks <laughs> were the article of clothing most likely to help with an orgasm. Uh, and when I knew that the brain was the, the, the organ that, you know, was most responsible for sexual arousal, Andrew argued that in fact, the skin is a large, is the largest organ in the body and that we were all wrong. So it was a very typical Andrew and Gwen interaction. And then I banished him. So it sounds like to nobody's surprise, pedanticism is y'all's kink. Um, (laughs) (laughs) getting into the rest of the production. So I'll, I'll, I'll kick it to you or I'll start with somebody because you seem like you need a moment to collect yourself after that <laughs> No, burn. no, I'm good. I'm ready. I'm ready. The burn, I'm feeling the burn, but I'm, I'm prepared. Who's somebody Who's somebody from this weird sex theater that you want to say, you want to go stock up on? Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say Connor, but actually I think Connor stayed stock neutral to my surprise. So Connor, and I, we'll see what you think. So Connor opens uh, with a song. And I got to say, when I see a man who's not a professional musician, like, get their guitar out, I'm like, oh, no, brother, like, you do not want to do that. I didn't find it hot when I was in high school, and I don't find it hot now. Uh, Way too many open mic nights with my first boyfriend who thought he could sing and play the guitar and was wildly mistaken on that front. Connor B. crushes his song. He's a good singer. Uh, It's pretty funny, given the parameters and the time constraints. And Katie likes it, but honestly, this was such a Connor light episode that I don't know how much it did for him. I think it didn't hurt him. I think for sure he gets a rose in the next in the next round, but I don't think it made, I think it kind of was like water off a cat's back. Yeah, I, I said stock up only in that, like, he's proven he can do it without the cat costume. I'm worried, or maybe I should say half sm- stock down. This is such a small thing to notice and fuss about, but here we are. We'll get to Carl and his idiocy, but when they're trying to basically boo Carl off the stage, Connor does this little hand wave gesture that I didn't care for, because it's like, he's clearly not a threat. Don't be smug. I'm worried that a certain level of smugness is growing, and we don't want that for Connor. And so- We don't. I think the song song played well. He was clearly in his comfort zone, and it should suggest that he has- he has range to handle himself in kind of a wide variety of situations, but he's officially on smug watch, and we'll see we'll see where that goes. Um, I'll throw a stock up 
you may again have this as just stock neutral because similarly he didn't feature that much in the episode. I really enjoyed Trey's puppet show. I thought it was a very charming the the invocation of peaches as the safe word between the two between the two puppets that ABC did not see fit to let us view what he had one puppet do to the other. So we can only we can only guess. But I thought it was it was smart. I mean, unless you're just gonna earnestly cry about your virginity, I think humor is pretty much the best way to go. Cause I think I have every other person here is stocked down except for Christian, who I had such a low perception of that when he just pulled off his pants, that was stock neutral for me because I, I maybe didn't even realize he'd had pants on to begin with. I have to agree with you a hundred percent. Christian was who's stock neutral for me. I mean, it was like, you know, it's also sexy men who attempt to do even a little bit of the housework, which like, ugh, all right, fine. And then he rips his pants off and then I forgot what his name was. So I was like, all right, that's, that's stock neutral for me. Everyone else, like if you try to be sexy in this situation, like you've made a wrong turn. Like, funny is the only option. Carl seems to think that he's, like, a fascist dictator giving a rousing speech. (laughs) Uh, Claire from Pittsburgh texted me, bring it down a notch, Carl. (laughs) And I gotta say, I think Claire from Pittsburgh uh, was was right on the money. That's so weird. There there must be a lot of Claire's in Pittsburgh who listen to our, our podcast. So... I just want to quickly run through for our listener the non-Carl entries because the the episode ran through them quick too. They pretty much montaged them. And then we should talk about Carl because I realized we didn't even bring him up last week. Um, and admittedly, there was there were a lot of people and he was pretty medium. And he decided he did not want to ride the middle in this episode. So he focused on sucking. So Garrett just has like a blindfold that then is also possibly can be used as handcuffs. He says basically nothing. Courtney has a carrot. It's a long carrot, so he's just saying I have a big dick, but with vegetables. Justin somehow is giving her a foot massage, and I just... That was one of the many moments in this episode that just made me feel bad for Katie and just made me think about just, like, how extensive her... Just, like, the labor that goes into being the Bachelorette, like, letting this one random shitty painter massage your feet even if it's only going to end up as 10 seconds of the episode. James, who is our guy in the box, at least extends the box motif by pantomiming dick in a box. Thomas, who again, I just think is evil, is holding what may very well be the very dildo that she brought and saying she won't need it anymore, which again, I don't think is the way to her heart. These things are not mutually exclusive. And then Carl just starts giving like, like a fucking TED talk or something. It's just like, what would you even describe? What was Carl even saying? I I have no idea what Carl was saying. I don't know. Like, how did they find him like 10, eight by 11 whiteboards? I genuinely have no idea what he was saying. And it, it was my least favorite kind of thing on the bachelor or bachelorette, which is that I was embarrassed for him. And I hate having to feel that way. (laughs) But I just wanted to like crawl under my couch until it was over. I, I disliked him enough that while it was uncomfortable, I, I didn't really feel bad for him. I thought it might hasten his his exit. We can only hope. I mean, that whole sequence really reminded me of high school forensics. 
I mean, especially like we get a very brief montage of basically them all doing their little prep work, like pacing around, like looking at their props, which again, I don't know if you've ever been to a high school forensics tournament, but in between the rounds, there's a lot of that. Yeah. 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 Well, again, what were you, you were too busy. You were too busy almost being like officially good at field hockey or something. Perfect. (laughs) Well, anyway. But I would have liked to actually see the entire prep sequence. Like, I would have actually much rather enjoyed Carl sitting there, like, really thinking about his plan than actually seeing him fail to execute it. Mike, of course, has to get the award for winning the sex contest because he's the only one who was smart enough to employ emotional blackmail. Clever. Clever of him. It's a staple of the Bachelor franchise. It's just so uncomfortable. I just, I mean, you talk about the emotional labor of being the bachelorette, having to have him like sit her down and earnestly read a poem at her. You know, the last time that happened to me, I was in the, I think I was in the eighth grade and I'd been chosen to be part of this like sleepaway evening that was supposed to like let us like group of students bond so that we could go back and make our, our middle school a more united place. And I, this kid, like he said, he liked me. And so I ended up making the mistake of sitting next to him on the bus on the way home. It was a two hour drive home. And that kid had written me a notebook full of poems the night before. And he read them at my face, into my eyes, the entire bus ride. Because again, my entire life is an MFA reading, even long before I was in an MFA. <laughs> So I was like fucking flashbacks for Katie, trapped by a virgin in the back of the bus, nothing to do but placate the virgin with a trophy until you can escape. Yeah, the the vibe going on when Carl just kept talking was when you're at the poetry reading and the person says, I've only got two more. And then their second poem, they say, okay, the next five are about blank. (laughs) And that's kind of what everybody in the audience was feeling in that moment, except they did not just silently acquiesce. Well, I think I think we've probably said enough about the the who is the best lover. And I think basically you've learned everything you need to know about the Bachelorette, that it is declared that the virgin is the best lover. So big ups to the 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 producers. So let's get into then the one-on-one, which she gives to Greg, which you pointed out to me over text, not to tell our listeners how much time we spend planning (laughs) for what seems like a pretty unplanned operation is actually atypical. Really atypical. The first impression Rose does not usually get, does not usually get the first one-on-one. I have this date in which they sort of go fishing and sort of go camping, but mostly just talk about how both of their fathers are dead. I, I labeled this section fishing for trauma, though admittedly most of the bachelorette could be labeled that. I guess my question is, did this date change your impression of Greg, your impression of Katie's sense of Greg? Yes, on a couple metrics. So one, as the Bachelor Bachelorette historian, I was really taken aback when Greg got the first one-on-one. I mean, it's it's pretty unprecedented because like the, the first few episodes of The Bachelorette are basically like The Bachelorette sending out code to the men that she's really interested in, right? So like her top prospects each get like a little tiny piece of the cake. Like one gets the first impression rose, one gets the first one-on-one date, one gets the group rose. So you start to see like, okay, who it is. 
So one, like her giving this date to him made me be like, man, last episode, Gwen, who was like, maybe we should just get it to Greg because Greg was nervous. Full of shit. Last episode, Gwen, she fucking loves Greg. Point number two, this is the kind of date that would only be happening because we're in a pandemic. So normally they would be out doing something like really flashy. They'd be in a helicopter, which again, as our Temptation Island listeners know, I don't fuck with helicopters. Rich people, <laughs> rich people die in helicopters and I'm not rich. So I'm not getting anywhere near a goddamn helicopter. And, and they don't talk much about anything real, right? Because they're like, oh, look, it's a volcano. Oh, look, it's an expensive watch I'm buying you. But instead they, they go fishing and she's chosen to take Greg on the date that is basically a reenactment of things she used to do with her father. That's a pretty intense choice for Katie to make. And I guess I can see why she didn't like invite, I don't know, some rando who she just wanted to bone, but maybe like didn't have that much of an emotional connect- connection with. And then, you know, uh, fishing for trauma, you're not wrong, but this didn't feel as artificial as some of those do. You know, like sometimes they're like, well, I really felt like I needed to tell you, uh, you know, when I was 22, a friend of mine was mean to me and we haven't really talked since. And that's why I can't trust anyone. And you're like, all right, like you had to pull that out of your ass. This was some like real shit. And they, they looked cute together doing it. So I was huge stock up on Greg on this one and just... I thought it was a pretty damn successful one-on-one. Yeah, agreed. Uh, a couple things. One, yeah, you do sometimes see these episodes where either A, it's so clear that the producers are trying to induce confession mm. in a way that's just really sad. Like that dude, Jason. Oh, God. Like on Claire's season, when she took when she took him to the campfire and she was not interested in him at all. That was awful. And she got him to basically just like, this is a dude who's like relentlessly positive. And she, like, basically forced him to, like, admit, like, all of the stuff that he's, like, been not processing. And, of course, she's not a therapist. And this is not therapy. This is The Bachelor. So this is both much more organic, but almost more important, this was much more reciprocal. Mm. And, again, was also seemed more earnest. This was not um, some just fuckboy confessing that he saw something nasty in the (laughs) shed. I mean... There seemed to be for all of our like, for all, all of our cold, cold, cold comfort enthusiasts out there, fans out yeah. there. <laughs> but but yeah, I will also say like he grew on me as well. In that I don't know how else to say this except that I like men who don't seem all that interested in trying to prove that they are at all manly, especially if they're in an environment when everybody is bigger than them. Yeah. Like so again, both it's 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 not putting on airs and it's being real being cognizant of your actual scenario. So yeah, I thought, I thought they were cute. I, to a certain extent for both of them kind of wish there weren't 22 other people like, and they could just be actual human beings and just like go on dates and see if they like each other. We'll see how he handles 22 other dudes, at least 20 of whom are probably the physical embodiment of what he is most insecure about, like making out with her every week. But we'll see. Yeah, he he nudged ahead of Connor for me in that, again, we have not seen smug Greg. We're still in, like, totally confused that the Bachelorette seems into him, Greg, which is which is sweeter. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I mean, Greg really managed to kind of be not performing any toxic masculinity. He didn't know how to put up a tent. You know, he seemed to really get a thrill out of putting an axe through the bottom of a bucket. I would also find that pretty thrilling. 
Uh, so I, I liked Craig after this. I, I feel like I didn't really know him after last episode. He was just awkward, shy dude. But like now he just seems like a cute dude. And they stood next to each other in their flannel shirts yeah. and white hoodies underneath looking like they were like fishing in an L.L. Bean catalog. And, you know, and you know how much I love L.L. Bean. So what am I going <laughs> to do? Indeed. What am I going to even do? Yeah. I mean, they were also quite cold. I, I don't know enough about the filming mechanics. I it seems unlike to me, unlikely to me because of the pandemic that they will ever get anywhere warm. But fingers crossed. Well, if Greg was able to avoid performing toxic masculinity, the second group date decided to go hard in the other direction where they had some kind of structured mud wrestling competition. And I'm I'm gonna ask a question that the groans that you just made probably already answers, but like is this at all fun for you? Because it just looked violent to me. No, I hate this. This is one of the stupidest things that The Bachelorette does, and it does it time and time again, which is scantily clad men involve themselves in senseless violence. I do not find that sexy. I spend the whole time worrying they're going to like, you know, they're going to hurt their goddamn neck. Like, did you see the way that one big dude threw that one tiny dude so his head, like, kind of hit against the hay bale? I was like, that shit is what, like, car seatbelts are there to prevent. We have laws in place to stop things like that from happening. So, no, I, I do not understand this. I, like, I guess, like, and I just don't find it hot. I, if you just want to, like, stare at their nipples, have a pool party. I, there are ways to get people topless that don't involve them trying to murder each other. Katie has a line where she's like, I'm not looking for a guy who can wrestle. So don't make them wrestle. They don't need to wrestle. Yeah. Unnecessary. A couple things. One, for everybody who had 29 minutes into the episode before Gwen Kirby went full on, won't somebody think of the children, collect your prize. <laughs> Second... I mean, obviously, I just for for those listening potentially who are not Bachelorette fans, this is not Katie's fault. Katie did not say let's do some. No, 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 no. Very important caveat: Katie did not choose this. This is a really. I will just say this is just this is not this is an artless form of combat. Again, give them some like dumbass knight in shining armor nerf shit and have them like joust, right? Like something goofy. These are just like thick dudes, like literally mud wrestling. Like it, it just looks very violent. It's not even like goofy wrestling. It's not like slippy slide jello wrestling. It just, I'm reminded of, I was in the Lincoln Park Zoo some years back and these two 15 year old girls walked by me and one of them said to the other, and she's, she's like touching her arm, like gently touching her own skin. And she goes like, we're just like, we're like animals no no no. think about it think about it think about it we're like we're like animals and i was having the thought just watching these dudes like functionally like be fucking pigs in mud attacking each other like this is humanity at its most artless and animalistic and it just wasn't a lot of fun i want to shout out just a couple of quick stock ups which are hard to find in this area but I'm going to give a couple stock ups to some mud wrestlers for some reasons, and then we'll get into the rest of the bulk of the episode, which was which was about who is and is not here for the right reasons, and is mostly, and I just have written here, Aaron, Corey, Carl, Gate. But quick stock ups, light stock up for Hunter, like that dude has so much ink, like when he had his shirt on, 
I just thought like this dude looks like a random accountant in training. And then like that dude is all the way inked up and suggested perhaps some interior interiority that I might not have ascribed him otherwise. I, I should go back and see what the tats are. I was gonna say you're gonna talk tats with him now, now that you can you can talk about your experience. You can be like, bro. <laughs> now that I have my one I have my one Yeah. Now that I have my one otter holding a balloon. Yeah. But no, I do actually want to go look at them now and just make sure that there's not something like really offensive on there before I shout that out. Oh, yeah. I want to shout out Kyle for his self-awareness of like when he had to wrestle Andrew, who again is a professional football player. He was like, well, I'm going to get my ass kicked, which I appreciated. And then Andrew, I thought, was gentle with him. Like you could tell that Andrew knew how to tackle people and was like not at all interested in hurting this guy. Because you see some people come into these terrible events that are clearly bigger and they're like, I'm going to show that I'm big. And Andrew is just like, I'm going to not break this man because that, A, I don't want to break people and B, that's a bad look. Yeah, I strongly concur. Uh, You know, and like Josh and John, John was kind of the same as Kyle being like, I would like to just not die during this encounter. And Josh rams his head into the hay bale, as I aforementioned said, not the gentleman that Andrew S. is. Uh, Yeah, I mean, and like, in addition to this being artless and fucked up and dangerous, if the point of a group date is for Katie to get to know the people better, this accomplishes that zero percent. I mean, like, what does she know about them now? I guess, like, nothing, nothing. It's just stupid. It's stupid, Daniel. And I... Wish they would stop doing it. (laughs) So for those who've been with us from the beginning, we now add mud wrestling to horse riding, helicopter riding, and using liquid nitrogen in the kitchen. And scuba diving. And scuba diving. Actually, just snorkeling. I'm okay with scuba diving. Just snorkeling. And not just horse riding. I'm not pro horses in general. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Let's take a moment to be like, horses out there. Apologies. Apologies to all the horses that are listening. All right. So this whole thing is building up to Cody fighting Aaron. And for those who remember from last week, there's a brief interaction between Cody, who's the one who brought the sex doll, and Aaron, who's the one who looks like a duck, in which Aaron says he doesn't like Cody. And last week we were like, that's random. But we now find out they know each other from San Diego, which makes me think that everybody from San Diego knows everybody from San Diego, which makes me think that Gwen must know all of these people, along with our beloved Corey from Temptation Island and the La Jolla Hilton. Now, this starts with, I guess I, I have a series of questions. So they, they, they fight wrestle and Aaron wins, which gives him some time to talk to Katie who claims that she could tell just from the vibe that they have beef. I I, I call a little bit of bullshit on that. I, I feel like the producers have, 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 have told her some stuff. But anyway, that's really neither here nor there. Aaron tells Katie that Cody, who he knows from San Diego, perhaps they hang out at the same dog beach, they go to the same smoothie shack, you know, has, quote, you know, said some things on social and is not here for the right reasons. Let me start with this question. Do you as a viewer enjoy wrong reasons discourse? No. There I will say I think that there is wrong reasons and wrong reasons. So like obviously everyone is there for the wrong reasons. Everyone is there so they can like sell yogurt and like sell their bodybuilding brand, right? That's totally totally fine. 
there are some examples of like wrong reasons, wrong reasons. So if you look at the winner of Hannah Brown's season, Jed, Jed was there to promote his musical career. Um, he even says so to Hannah Brown. It's quite something. He really like flips it and reverses it. He's like, oh, I came here just to promote my music, but like, you're so hot girl. Like now I just want to get to know you better. But Jed like had a girlfriend back home who like on his way to see the bachelorette was like, Hey, sexy baby. Like I'll see you when I get home after I'm done diluting this woman for just the appropriate amount of time. I think that's fucked up. Like you should go to the bachelorette single, you know, willing to, if you like the lady, you know, be in a relationship. I don't think that should be anyone's primary reason. Obviously your primary reason is to tell everyone how you make your muscles look exactly the way that they look. But I do think there are like gradients. That was a long way of saying, no, this conversation was really fucking stupid. And I did not want to talk about it the whole rest of the goddamn episode. So I love wrong reasons discourse because it's so stupid because like, it leads to my favorite thing about reality TV, which is like clownish disproportion. So for example, Katie says her biggest fear is to fall in love with somebody who's only interested in fame. This is then a very odd way to meet the person you are going to fall in love with. Like, let's say you just kind of like flirt with somebody at the fucking farmer's market. I feel like the percentage chance that that person is flirting with you for the wrong reasons is substantially lower than on a prestigious television show known for launching yogurt sales careers. The other thing is, again, just like when she's giving her grand speech to all of them, after Carl's ludicrous part in this, which we'll get to. And she's talking about how like, she's afraid that somebody is in the house that's there for the wrong reason. She is acting like there is a murderer in the house. <laughs> like she is so angry and afraid about the possibility that one of these people on this absurd TV show is there just to be on TV that it just, it makes me smile. And again, it's like, it's so hard to find somebody who can take this show serious when you want them to take it serious, but appreciate its absurdity when you want them to see it as silly. And so in that way, like stock up on Katie is the bachelorette for me this episode, because she also upped her range. Like what we liked about her in the first episode was she was like chilling it out a little bit and she was like making it fun. And she showed in this episode that she could cry and curse them out if they're there for the wrong reasons. And that, to me, is also a chief responsibility of a bachelorette. See, for me, it's like kind of stock neutral on Katie. Does she need to be a bachelorette who will cry about someone being there for the wrong reasons? Absolutely. That is an important part of the job. That, I think, though, is compelling. Compelling is a strong word. When there are like 12 dudes left. There's 23 motherfuckers still here. Like, sending Cody home, who the shit cares? You just learned Cody's name. So, like, I just, like, it's too soon for me. For Like, we're not, we shouldn't be canceling, or not canceling, but, like, Rose Ceremony should not be delayed at episode two. Like, this is just, it's just too soon. The whole format is thrown off now. Okay, I'm really glad, by the way, for a moment, I thought you were like inadvertently inv invoking cancel culture to discuss getting rid of Cody. Oh, no, I was gonna, I was gonna say, oh my God. No, I was gonna say canceling the <laughs> cocktail party, which is also a crime yeah. on The Bachelorette, but no, no. It's been happening a lot in the last couple of seasons, though now that I think about the combination of 
the idiocy of, quote, cancel culture and your hatred of horses. I'm thinking of the Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, who um, tested positive for some kind of stimulant, and his trainer said, quote, that they're trying to cancel the horse, <laughs> which... <laughs> I remember that. That was so great. <laughs> anyway, that, uh, that trainer has now been banned from a lot of horse racing and, and is, is claiming that he is... He is he is the subject of a, of a smear campaign. Well, speaking of smear campaigns, the other question I had about this about Aaron. So, like, I I find this honestly, I find it moderately tedious. I'm glad that it resulted in a fuss fit from Katie because otherwise, what's the fucking point? It just, like you said, cancels the the cocktail party and delays a rose ceremony. But what do you think of this move? I mean, he won, right? Like, he got Cody kicked off. I've seen this now in every season of The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. Somebody accuses somebody else of being there for the wrong reasons and brings that to the attention of the lead. And it results in somebody being sent home. I mean, we saw this in this giant fight between um, the dude from Harvard Bennett and the dude whose name I've forgotten with Tasha. We saw this with the, like the really tiny Matthew McConaughey looking motherfucker and some other dipshit at the beginning with Claire. We see this in every season. So it's a trope. Like, what do you think of it as a move? Like, why do you think Aaron did it? I mean, I don't feel like it's ultimately he's not going to win. He's, I think, tainted by the being involved with the drama. This is a genius move from Aaron. Aaron was not going to win. Like their 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 night one chemistry wasn't all that great. Like he doesn't, you know, he's not Greg. He's not Connor. He's not Thomas, who she likes for absolutely inexplicable reasons. But somehow this motherfucker was victorious. And I do not know how. Because he was like, yeah, hey Katie, I'm covered in mud. And what I just need to tell you is like, Cody, like I don't, he's not a good dude. And she was like, oh, that's like super interesting. Give me an example of that. And he's just like, yeah, it's just like all the ways that he is. And she was like, that's great. That is like insider intel. Thank you so much, Aaron. So then she like boots Cody off. Then, then Carl is like, oh, everyone's a fuck up, right? And then she's fucking like, Aaron, get back here. And like suddenly Aaron has her goddamn like man in Havana, like spy on the inside, like Hercules Mulligan, you know? And like, what? <laughs> so so I think like, no, he's not gonna win. He's not there to win, hashtag wrong reasons. He's there to stay on long enough to promote yogurt. And now he's fucking gunu. Because she's like, oh, like, you're the person who's going to speak truth to power inside the house, you dumb, ducky-ass motherfucker. No, I literally don't know how, but he fucking crushed this episode by being a total tool bag. It was impressive because he, he didn't actually say anything. No. He said, quote, like, malicious behavior. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you know, just stuff. I actually really wish that he'd had a deeply specific grievance. And it had been incredibly petty. Like, that, like, so this one time. We were playing Mario Kart against each other, and I'm way at the front. <laughs> I'm way at the front, and he gets he gets a lightning bolt, and that happens. Look, it happens. I get that. I get that. But he <laughs> waits until I'm coming up to the jump. He waits like 30 seconds to hit that lightning bolt, knowing that it's gonna drop me off that bridge, and that wasn't cool. And that's why I just don't like you. Want him teaching like your children that kind of behavior anyway, or like some San Diego equivalent, like things that are just not done at the smoothie joint or the dog beach. That like he could have brought he could have brought into the light here. And again, he says nothing. All I'll say in on the one hand, when she has this conversation with Cody, he does seem like completely lifeless. Like he's not at all convincing in his defense. 
I have a full abbreviated transcript that I would like to act out of her interaction with Cody because Please. it was so fucking stupid. So I wrote, I wrote this down. I wrote this down. Some of these are quotes. Some of these are things that I just kind of made up. So she's like, so Cody, Aaron said, you're a stupid dick. Cody says, that's not true. And Katie says, um, he says, you're here for fame. And Cody says, yeah. I mean, no, no. And Katie's like, well, why would he lie to me when he has nothing to gain except to make someone who he hates get kicked out of the competition? And then Cody's like, oh, man. And then Katie's like, get the fuck out of here. Scene. And like, that was it. Cody was useless. So that gives me a couple things to say. One, for anybody waiting to receive an email back from the associate director of the Sewanee Writers Conference, you know exactly what she's been doing with her time. Second, second, like, it wasn't such a stupid conversation, but, like, on the one hand, on the one hand, like, she's absolutely right to get rid of him because he seems like a soulless asshole. But on the other hand, if, like, if seeming like a soulless asshole who can barely string a sentence together is enough to get kicked off of this show, then we're going to be at small numbers pretty, pretty quick. Very quick. Couple, couple, I mean, let's get to Carl's in, inanity here. No, 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 wait. So there's there's one small ray of light between this and the Carl inanity, and that is Sweet Andrew, Andrew S. Yeah. yeah. Sweet Andrew S, for me, huge stock up this episode. Crushes this interaction. Ta- you know, they, they bond about, like, thrift shopping and free lunches. And she tells, actually, like, a genuinely moving story about her dad who, like, has passed, you know. And they were so poor and their house was shitty. And when they were kids, her dad would build, like, a cardboard picture of a fireplace and tell her that, you know, Santa was so magical that he could come through it. And, and Andrew S. gets the group date rose. I mean, I think Andrew S. literally in the middle of the shit hurricane managed to like take a step forward with Katie and he was the only one on this date. So like mad hat tip to to Andrew S for like sneaking in between the Cody exit and the Carl shitstorm. No, that's true. I my notes are my notes have that backwards. The bar has been set pretty high for not doing a shitty job with trauma Olympics, which we know everybody has their card to play and they will be forced to play it eventually. But yeah, no, definitely, definitely a good moment for Andrew S., who seems like a sweetheart. I mean, we'll see if that's enough. I like Andrew S. Yeah, yeah. Again, I thought he was very gentle rather than beating the shit out of Kyle in the mud pit. And that's that that gets us somewhere. He's lovely. He's just like, hello, sweetheart. I play football in Vienna and I like the Bridgertons and I'm very hot. I'm Andrew S. Oh my God. So I just, I d- no, no, you have to keep it, but I just do want our listeners to understand <laughs> That the first part of that was from last week when Andrew S. had a fake British accent. The second half of that was just Gwen Kirby into the rosé. I don't know what in the fuck that was. but <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, it was a really long day at the Sewanee Writers Conference, and I'm, I'm frankly pretty tired. So Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. Well, let's, let's end with this. <laughs> Who sucks the most and why is it Carl? Like, what the fuck? I mean, admittedly, admittedly, like, we... We learned in the greatest lover context where he decided to, uh, I don't know, do a dissertation defense with none of his committee there, that he doesn't read the room effectively. And he seems very much to be of the impression that he is a good guy and he seems to be an idiot starting shit. And he just like, I guess my question is, okay, here's my actual question. 
when she gets really upset by Carl incoherently, anonymously saying some people are there for the wrong reasons without giving any evidence or names, and she gets really upset by this, how much of that do you think is her being earnestly upset? Because obviously he's not said anything. And how much of it is like that just being what the Bachelorette has to do and her understanding her role? Great question. I was surprised by how earnestly upset she seemed. Carl didn't say anything that to me warranted that. But I would say that was like 50% upset, 20% rosé, 30% (laughs) leaning into her role as the bachelorette. Like, I think it was like, it was earnest upset, but I think dialed up. Like, you've got to assume the producers are like egging her on. Like, if she's so, she's a little upset, then they're like twisting the knife, twisting the knife. But I mean, again, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, too upset for the second episode like this is the kind of thing that like throws you for a loop when there are seven people left but with 23 like a vague comment some people might not be here for the wrong reason like counterpoint i think she needs to go to fucking 11 she was at 11 i think she has more and i want to see it i think it's good for our listeners to remember that all of these people are basically drunk the entire time because there's nothing else to do but drink and they're cold but i also think that like I think you're right. It was a little early, but I think she had, she's had this planned. Like, and they had this planned. Like, I mean, you're the historian. Have you ever heard the Bachelorette drop an F-bomb before? Yeah. Claire. Uh, did she? Though Claire. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely did. Um, but like in Hannah a speech Brown. to all of them about the right versus the wrong reasons. I don't know if it was in a speech, but I mean, Bachelorettes have definitely dropped F-bombs before. I mean, okay. Hannah Brown literally was like. We fucked in a windmill and Jesus still loves me. Which is incredible. <laughs> fucking pour one out for Hannah Brown icon. Uh, so yeah, but it's uh, it's unusual. You're not wrong about that. Don't, you have don't an impressive range. talk about my accent work. You have an impressive range of accents. Um, no, but all I was going to say is like, again, that to me, that speech, which I loved, like if you're not here for the right reasons, then get the fuck out of here is second only to Nicole on Temptation Island drunkenly saying, I think you kind of fucked up your journey in terms of like... (laughs) How could anything touch that? But the combination of just like profanity and like stock vocabulary unique to these absurd shows. So I enjoyed it. I, I guess you're right. She could have built to it, but I don't know. Carl, not long for this world. He, he brings nothing. I, I imagine I could see him not surviving. The next rose ceremony, unless just the producers are like, we want to keep him because everybody hates him. Which I think they absolutely will. I mean, I yeah. I literally at the end of this episode was the most irritated with Carl because I was forced to like find Aaron to be reasonable. And I hate that. I hate that so much. I was like, Aaron is making a good point. Like, he's like, don't come at the girl sideways. That was the dumbest thing you could have possibly done. You can't speculate if it's going to cause damage. Like, I'm like, maybe Aaron just really hates Cody. And he's like suddenly going to be normal the rest of the season. I don't know. Like, I just don't fucking know. And I blame Carl for even having to entertain that thought. Yeah, I think Carl saw Aaron do something that worked for Aaron and Carl lacks the critical thinking to contextualize it. But I look for I look forward to seeing who the next person here who's accused of being here for the wrong reasons is. I, I feel like it's, it's going to be Thomas. I mean, Thomas, 
Thomas, I said this last week, I'll say it again. He just reads as kind of evil, but he he seems to be worming his way into her heart. There needs to be one asshole, at least, that she's into. She can't just be into Sweetie Pies. And I think Thomas is going to win that race, but we'll see. I agree. He's winning it hands down right now, and I don't get it at all. I would not be at all surprised to see him get a one-on-one date next week. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if he if he um, pulls out any fake trauma. There's that bit actually. I don't know if you I don't know if you watched any of How I Met Your Mother, but there's that one episode with the guy whose name I've forgotten, but is like one of the main dudes I think in like the Book of Mormon. His whole thing is that he like feigns trauma to lower people's inhibitions, and the trauma is always pulled from Disney films. So he's like, you know, like my father was killed by my uncle by my uncle and then I like ran away or like my mother was killed by a barracuda or like my mother was killed by hunters. And I I feel like Thomas just doesn't seem like he has a soul per se, which is perhaps a mean thing to say about somebody, but he's on the bachelorette. So here we are. And I'll be curious if he, how early he tries to go to the trauma Olympics and how clearly it's stolen from a major motion picture. He won't go to the Trauma Olympics. There is no such thing as getting through the nighttime portion of your one-on-one without it. The question is, what will he say? And will his hotness continue to excuse the absolute word salad coming out of his mouth? I think she straight up wants to bang his pants off for reasons that I don't get. I do not. He is not in my top 10 dudes I'd fuck this season. But she thinks he's really hot. And he says words like, you're strong and the process And so far, that is enough for her. Well, that's going to be enough for all of us. As again, we're creeping up on on the hour mark. And the sun has already gone down in the Tennessee mountains. Gwen has already already shit-talked enough major hobbies of people. Y'all, I had a day. I had a very busy day. (laughs) The conference starts in four weeks. If you were like, wow, Gwen sounded a little unhinged today... Wait until three weeks from now. I know shit. Shit's only gonna get worse. Uh, and I'm doing. I'm doing what I can. I just hope that nobody goes to the conference for the wrong reasons. Well, we want to thank y'all for joining us. As always, please feel free to hit us up at restingbatchface at gmail or batch underscore face on Twitter. It's kind of embarrassing that all of our feedback comes from Gwen's sister, who we pretend is not her sister. <laughs> so, give us shout out Claire from Pittsburgh. Give us somebody else to pretend is a stranger besides besides Claire, though we of course appreciate her contributions. And we're just gonna keep we're gonna keep riding. For for the right reasons, the wrong reasons, we don't really know, but we're we're on this path now. We are indeed. We're I you know, I noticed it last week that Temptation Island is not the only dumbass reality show that talks about the process and the journey. There's a lot of process and journey in the Bachelorette as well. So much. All right, uh, resting Bash Face Nation. Hope you're enjoying the season, and we'll talk to y'all soon.